0: Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. And uh, we are very happy to be here our first show of uh, 2021. I'm here, Tim Fredericks, with uh, my co host, Fran Gavin. Good evening, Fran. Good evening, Tim. And uh, this evening, uh, joining Fran and I in the studio um, is Bob Magnuson, uh, who is the uh, superintendent uh, for the Oxford School District in Warren County. Um, and Oxford Central School, which is a national and state um, uh, school of char- national school of char- character, uh, a very very high distinction uh, for the work that they're doing for social and emotional learning in that district. Uh, kudos to uh, uh, Bob and all of his staff. But this evening we are I going hear- to be fo- focusing a lot on um, the um, uh, legislation. Uh, that has come down the pike um,
1: regarding all, everything that's happened during COVID in school. So welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, friend, for having me. And uh, good evening to everyone. Bob, maybe, maybe uh, uh, you can tell us a little bit about uh, your tenure
0: um, and your work on the NJASA legislative committees. Uh, just as kind of a, a little background to our discussion on some of the uh,
1: legislation and proposed legislation that we're gonna be talking about? Sure, Tim, thanks. we uh, I've been at Oxford uh, as a chief school administrator, uh, functioning as the principal and superintendent for since 2006. Uh, this is my 37th year overall in education um, and uh, very fortunate to be one of three people representing uh, Warren County on the New Jersey association of school administrators legislative committee Uh, we meet every other week Uh, we hear about bills that are kind of in the hopper uh, from uh, NJASA and uh, we discuss bills that are that are in any one of the committees, whether assembly or senate and uh, it's a great committee to be part of Um, you get uh, you get a lot of information prior to some of the laws coming down and you you do get to make some impact on uh, how those how those laws are shaped and a lot of activity uh this year especially
0: since uh covid and the pandemic uh uh for sure right bob
1: yeah there's been uh, there's been no shortage of people getting involved uh, legislatively to uh to help us through this period um mm. sometimes uh good meaning legislation and uh, or well meaning legislation and sometimes legislation that you just kind of scratch your head and wonder what they're thinking on. When they uh, when they come up with some of these ideas down in Trenton, but um, there's uh, there's there's certainly been no shortage of ways to try to help schools and uh, and help students get through this very difficult period.
0: So could we start with one that's that's uh, really uh, kind of on the threshold of of rolling out and making some serious impact in the districts, and uh, that's the bridge year um, legislation and the bridge year option for high school uh, students. Can you explain that uh, for us a little bit? You know, um, you know, from your understanding of, of what that legislation calls for. Uh,
1: yeah, the the idea is that students who had experienced some sort of learning delay during the last three hundred plus days here due to the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, who are um, getting ready to graduate from high schools in New Jersey, would be given the opportunity to. Uh, participate in what we'll call a bridge year. In other words, uh, take classes through their local community college that would go towards their high school graduation requirements, Um, in effect, giving them a fifth year uh, of high school participation uh, for uh, for students who who really have kind of been behind the eight ball um, during this whole process. Um, it's, It's unfortunately, it's a little late for students who graduated last June of 2020, when uh, when the pandemic was just a few months old. But um those who have gonna spend the entire school year um involved in a, in, in during this pandemic uh, could benefit from this particular legislation, but it does in effect give them a fifth-year uh senior status. So so
0: my understanding of the bill also is that it so it affects the uh uh the current class of 2021 but it's also available to the class of 2022.
1: Is that correct? Yes. uh, Students who are juniors uh, going through the same difficulties as their senior counterparts uh, would be eligible for this uh, legislation or for this fifth year status uh, for after their senior years as well. So it does, does impact both years. The legislation is,
2: is written in a very interesting way. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that the only, Students that are eligible would be those who are have already met their graduation requirements. Did I
1: read that correctly? One of the, uh, one of the things that's coming out of this particular legislation is just that that you, you will have had to make um, uh, satisfactory progress in every aspect of your senior year at your particular high school in order to be fully eligible for the bridge year. So uh, you can't, you You could not be a student who perhaps didn't participate as as much as they were expected to during the uh, during the pandemic um, and if you didn't re- satisfy all of the requirements for your particular high school, then you may not be eligible for uh, for this particular program you You do have to fill all of those requirements for health and p e um, your particular school districts. Um, number of math credits you know english credits those type of things so you do have to you have to do your part in order to be fully eligible for the bridge year
2: so and it, it seems like that the um, the real icing on the cake to the bridge year is the ability to participate in all those non-academic aspects of, of the high school experience such as athletics or clubs uh, going to the prom things like that and i, I guess that kind of pl- plays into that social emotional kind of Growth uh, is, was that one of the, the designed uh, goals of the legislation?
1: Uh, yeah, for, uh, friend. I, I actually think that um, going back to when this was first put on the table, uh, toward the end of the 2020 school year, uh, athletics was really driving the uh, legislation for this particular this bridge year. Um, I think athletics has kind of taken a back seat. And uh, the legislation is truly focused on the academic side. Uh, if in the process you happen to be a student athlete or, as you said, someone who wants to participate in uh, in, in, a, in a club or activity, for example, student government, that would be one of the things that you could do as part of this, uh, this bridge year legislation.
2: Yeah, it seemed like uh, there were quite a few provisions in there that were very finely and specifically uh, honed in on uh, athletics in particular. But then if you, as you go through the legislation, uh, the, uh, the involvement with community colleges and um, the funding sources that are available and the ability to, to even take uh, uh, a limited number of credits at a four-year university, uh, I think it, it looks like it, they clearly shifted the focus to education rather than co-curricular educational aspects? Uh,
1: th- without a doubt. Um, and it's interesting because the, the community colleges, uh, my understanding of, of how this particular legislation is gonna play out locally, the community colleges are the ones that are truly on board with this. I don't, I think that one of the problems with this particular um, legislation is that there's not a great deal of response from four-year colleges for this, uh, for for students to participate in this bridge year at four-year colleges, um, I think that a lot of students who may who will look to participate in this are really going to be looking at their community colleges and not necessarily the four-year school that they may have thought they were going to um, toward the end of their senior year. So it it seems to definitely be more of an option uh, locally at the at the community college level. I think maybe one of the precluding
0: uh, factors uh, for the four-year schools, and it, it, it seems as if the regulations and the guidelines do not preclude uh, a four-year school from participating, but the uh, tuition is capped. If if I read it correctly, so the tuition is uh, capped. You know, closer to the county college uh, rates than the um, uh, the four-year rates. So that may be a uh, consideration driving a lot of four-year uh, schools off from being interested in this, because you you would think that they would be interested. And, you know, I mean, coming from Centenary, I, I, I would hope that someone at Centenary is paying attention and, uh, you know, thinking about doing an outreach to, uh, you know, our local high schools uh, about that.
1: Yeah, the, um, there is, there definitely is a tuition cap uh, that, um, that, that this, that's part of this particular law, um, I, you know. And the number sticks in my head around 145 dollars a credit somewhere in there, um, and that uh, that's going to be a tough sell for many four-year schools, whose uh, per credit rates are uh, are typically higher than that. So,
2: yeah, but they they could use that as a almost as a recruiting tool. You know, uh, once you go, once you have them in in the front door, it's easier to keep them in perhaps than to get them in, which. You would think that four-year schools would jump on this.
0: Especially yeah. especially in programs, you know, if they're able to get an early jump on a program of interest. So let's say they're interested in uh, medical lab science and they're able to take some of their early courses in medical lab science, as opposed to taking English 101 and Math 101 and Psych 101, where they could really do that at any school
1: yeah there's definitely uh there's it's it's definitely intriguing for for a lot of students um who may participate in this to as i said really get a leg up on um the four year school that they wanted to go to um and it does have the appeal for smaller schools who may who may see st- students want to go to a bigger or larger institution um for college smaller schools like centenary um, and many schools like centenary are gonna are going to be very appealing um, to to some of these bridge bridge gear bridge year students. There we go. So Bob, let me ask you and and
0: Fran. You know, both uh, having experience. Uh, you know, as high school varsity high school coaches, what are the implications for this kind of two year period where you're facing the prospect of uh, you know not having your normal four year cycle of uh, of student athletes. You know, coming through your programs, but but you could. Have uh, you know kind of uh, fifth year uh, post back or post grad uh, students uh, in your programs?
1: What what are your thoughts about that from a coaching perspective? Well, um, uh, sorry, friend, I'll I'll jump in front of you here. Um, the the thing that there's a there's a number of things that, that stick out. There's going to be some sports where you, in theory, you're you're going to have a 19 year old student athlete competing against a 14, 15 year old student athlete Uh, that uh, there's going to be some disparity there. There are some sports, for example, track and field um, and a number of other sports where colleges would rather see the results at larger regional meets, um, you know, for for athletes involved in track and field is a perfect example. And dual meets don't have as much weight with some college recruiters as would um, a regional meet, um, a, a district meet. A state level meet here in New Jersey. So, for those students to then have that opportunity to participate at that that those regional meets as a fifth year senior, that's going to have uh, that's going to have a lot of impact on some of the opportunities that that these students are going to get down the road.
2: And as a basketball coach, um, I, I don't know that it'll have any real significant effect on the higher level players because the, the reality is most of the higher level higher level players. Participate in club or AAU uh, enterprises. So the recruiting as a from their high school play is is very much secondary. I mean it, it helps, but it's secondary. Um, the, the kid I think that would benefit from it is perhaps a late bloomer. You know, some kids uh, are at the the young end of their grade and don't develop and mature until later, and boys especially. Uh, so uh, it might be a good opportunity for a boy to have a a fulfilling and rewarding experience uh, playing basketball as a senior when maybe their body's finally caught up to to everybody else's body, uh, or maybe that their uh, social and emotional uh, uh, presence has also caught up. So um, I, I think it can have, frankly, probably the, uh, the benefit that that co-curricular activities are really uh, and athletics are, are are focused on helping the young person grow as a as a as a as a, an individual or a, and as a, a member of a team enterprise. So it, there's positives and negatives involved with it, or perhaps uh, pie in the sky beliefs, but some some potential benefits of it being a, a realistic and uh, beneficial experience.
0: Uh, Bob when the uh, legislation was going through its uh uh formative uh, uh stages do you recall that the n j s i a a uh was opposed to this or um did they have a position on this
1: initially um when this was way back in its infancy stages uh uh the governing body for athletics definitely um definitely had some reservations about this and, and you know in looking back i kind of was going back through some notes and emails over the last uh seven or eight months pertaining to this particular law the the idea was that um th- this law went through a number of revisions and a number of amendments to uh to to address academics over athletics as the option uh because of uh NJ uh, SIAA definitely had some uh, some concerns about this law when it first started rolling out. The statute uh, kind
2: of gives and takes uh, in the same phrase. It uh, suggests that high schools should create this um, bridge year coordinator, but then says the schools don't have to set it up and fund it. Um, any re- preliminary reports on whether uh, how it's been received uh, in the secondary schools?
1: Um, as a matter of fact, I, I was uh, was telling, Tim, prior to uh, the start of this, I had reached out to our Warren County high schools. Everyone in, uh, in our local county has um, a program and, and a coordinator set up. Um, some schools have come at it in, in different ways, but um, um, I think that everybody is ready for the potential for students to enroll in the bridge year. Uh, the deadline's coming up on February fifteenth for students to declare that they uh, that they would like to participate. But some schools kind of have uh, some written guidelines and some pros and cons for uh, for the bridge year, and others have have uh, kind of relied on the coordinator to reach out to students and have students reach out to the coordinator to get some information based on uh, how they have to go about applying for the bridge year. So it's everybody's coming at it differently here in Warren County, but everybody is. Everybody is going at it, and everybody is prepared for it. So,
2: uh, I teach down at uh, Wall High School, and I, I must admit that uh, I haven't heard anything about such the such that program. Um, but you know, in this day and age, with uh, hybrid, virtual, in impur- whatever <laughs> is going on at the moment, and sometimes sure. it's hard to keep up with what's going on. That's that's not really mainstream.
1: Yeah, we do have, and I do think that, um, you know, from my discussion um, and emails shared with, with the county, I, do th- I don't think we're looking at a lot of students in Warren County, but th- the potential is there for, for a few kids, um, a few students in each of the districts locally.
2: Oh, that's excellent. This is a good opportunity to take a quick break. You're listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University.
0: And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Here in the studio with my co-host, Fran Gavin, and our very special guest this evening, uh, Bob Magnuson, the uh, superintendent of the Oxford School District in Warren County, and uh, also the uh, legislative representative from the Warren County Association of School Administrators to the NJASA. Um, and we're talking uh, this evening about several pieces of legislation that will have an impact on the operation um, of schools moving forward as a result of some of the things that have happened during COVID. Prior to the break, uh, we were discussing a, a little bit about uh, the bridge year, well, a lot about the bridge year. But I do want to throw this out there to Bob uh, to see um, if he knows, certainly, there are going to be costs that are associated with. Having students remain back in high school, uh, creating some type of system, whether it's just a stipend for a a, a bridge year coordinator or um, uh, something more
1: elaborate than that, um, who's picking up the tab for this? It uh, in in looking at the uh, le- the legislation again, um, the cost the cost per credit is it is $145 per credit, um, and that it would include all fees for students. And students would be charged by the county college for uh, for these credits. Uh, there is a grant program that's set up, the Community College Opportunity Grant Program, and students could apply to the grant program for that funds. However, you know, practicality and and possibly the cynic in me says that school districts um, are gonna that somehow there's, there's gonna be some financial cost back to the schools if a student. Perhaps was on a free and reduced lunch list, um, or was uh, struggling financially. Uh, they may turn back to their local district for, for funding in this particular program. But the, but the legislation and the law, as it's as uh, Governor Murphy signed, does um, does have the county college charging the student directly for uh, for the credits. So uh,
0: for the students who are in the class of 2022, right? Uh, so that would be current juniors who are not yet done with all of their high school credits they would be ineligible for this program just based on the fact that they have not met the um um all of the high school
1: requirements uh that's that's the way i i look at it I, I, those students aren't going to be uh they're not going to just be able to to get involved in the program they'd have to make sure that they've fulfilled all of their senior senior level requirements as well um there's no there's been no waivers for some of the mandatory State uh, standards that have to be in place for high schools. Um, the one that comes always to mind would be the the requirements for uh, health and PE at every at every grade level in high school. So, uh, so one 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 more
0: question regarding the uh, financing of this, though, if um, um, the county colleges or the institutes of higher education, if it's four year school, are uh, billing the parents directly for the cost of the credits, right? Is that the only pathway that can be developed? Like, I, it, it was my understanding that a plan, this bridge year coordinator has to develop uh, jointly a plan for the student for the bridge year. It, is it a singular pathway that they have to go to a um, a county college or a four year
1: school? Um, you know, that's that's a great question, and and I and I'm going to say that. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I do know that they have to have, an indica- in, in effect, an indi- individual education plan uh, for this. And it has to be set up with the coordinator's uh, guidance and, in and an effect, blessing uh, for each of these students. Um, some of the options that they might be available to, uh, to participate in, I'm, I'm not going to profess to be an expert on that particular subject. So there has to be a
0: cost uh, to this that's, uh, you know, uh, above and beyond uh, tuition cost. You know, so if the bridge coordinator, let's say you have a a high school of 250 seniors and 10% of the class, 25, uh, decide to uh, avail themselves of the bridge year. That's 25 plans that have to be developed by this bridge coordinator, right? So that takes time. Um, You know, it probably takes some resources of the school um, as well. It's going to be interesting. Brian, what do you think about that?
2: Uh, I think it's, it's an aggressive uh, approach to things. And then you run into a place like uh, Hackettstown, which has um, a very robust uh, joint credit program with Warren County Community College. So kids are already getting college credits. So the question would become in that second semester where it's supposed to be all uh, college credits uh, at the local community college, does, do dual credit courses count? and Hackett sounds on a semester basis. So it kind of would dovetail very easily with that. Uh, the, the legislation doesn't make it really clear. Uh, but you're right. If if there's a handful of kids that come, you know, a real IEP, basically, or the equivalent of an IEP would, would take a, some uh, dedicated time by a, an educational professional. And, you know, you know how the state likes to get all the reports in. So yeah, it's not like they would prepare a plan, write it down in a napkin and say, we're good to go. I'm sure there would have to be some sort of filing. The other thing that it seems strange that 2022 graduates would have to elect by this February 15th. I suspect that'll be continued into next year so that uh, they'll have to elect by next January or February 15th. It only makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the, one of the data points that are going to be collected out of this first year would be a look at the number of students who are currently juniors, and how many will be eligible for uh, for a bridge year their senior year. I think that's that's definitely uh, a data point that the state's going to ask for all the districts. And, and is this
0: going to be a one off uh, thing just for these two classes, and and when those students are done, that's the end of it, or do you do you see this uh, becoming
1: kind of in the mix? Uh, Moving forward, Uh, do I anything is possible? I, uh, you know, when when you're dealing with the Department of Education, sometimes you you just can't be surprised at some of the things that happen. I I I honestly, in my discussions and participation on uh, the legislative committee, I do see that that uh, this is something that will be for the 21 2021 graduates and 2022 graduates, and the likelihood that it will continue. Uh, especially if this pandemic and, and, and distance remote learning is in our rearview mirror, I think that uh, we would we would it wouldn't be surprising that the that the whole program would uh, would just kind of sunset uh, in the near future.
2: I think the statute itself says it's a three year program, so it it kind of automatically has built in sunset provision.
1: Kind of interesting though,
0: Fran isn't it that they just kind of you know pick a line to draw that you know well, this has definitely affected this year's seniors and this year's juniors, but maybe not so much the sophomores and freshmen
2: well, I think uh Bob pegged it uh this was originally uh all driven by athletics, and the you know with the cancellation of last spring in in its entirety, all the spring sport athletes we're deprived of a year and then you know it's not like this past fall and uh, right now the current winter is really been a a robust schedule so uh, you know I think it's one of those this is an unusual circumstance let's if a kid wants to take advantage of it you know what's the race right if if we, we can certainly let a kid play another year or stick around and learn another year life will continue
0: It's uh, uh, not that much different than what the uh, waivers uh, for eligibility that the NCAA gave to um, uh, athletes as well, right? Right. Well, and think about it.
2: Uh, Places like Blair Academy and Lawrenceville
0: Prep, they've
2: lived off of PGs for years. Um, So it's not like it's uh, such a novel experience generally, maybe for public education, but now the the private schools have seen it be a beneficial co- concept, so
1: why not right. and I, I and if I could just real quick, I think there's a there's a whole group of students out there who attend the uh, vocational technical school level, and if some of those students aren't able to meet the certification requirements that they need in their particular area of study, the bridger is going to be a good way for them to get the hours of clinical experience or uh, hands on experience that they have been missing. Uh, and a bridge year is going to be a good way for them to get that. So, uh, you know, the, I see it having a nice effect uh, and a positive effect on more students at the vocational level um, than it may in our in, in the other local high schools.
2: Yeah, the the tech schools have really uh, been hit hard by uh, the pandemic and the inability to do their um, their in-kind learning as opposed to book
0: learning. Absolutely well uh, the bridge here certainly isn't the only uh piece of legislation that has is uh coming out and uh being considered uh We have two other uh uh, uh proposed bills that are uh, before us now bob and I, I was hoping that we would be able to talk about it a little bit the um uh, lampett bill and the Ruiz bill out of the Senate um what are you? What are your thoughts on on uh, the language that's uh, in in those bills and the
1: impact that it might have in local school districts? Well, as we uh, as I've heard uh, from a number of colleagues all around the state, the, when you lump these two together, they're referred to as the learning loss bills. Um, you know, the the impact is is um, is is applaudable. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's. Wonderful that our legislators are, are, are trying to help us to, uh, to get through this difficult period and, and trying to help us assess what's going on. Um, I think that um, the impact on local school districts, I, I think that the timelines are, uh, are, are unrealistic. I think that um, one of the, um, you know, for example, um, the, uh, the Lampett bill, uh, a 5147 is it's that's a partisan bill. Uh, Senator Ree's bill uh, t- tends to be more bipartisan. Uh, it has uh, come out of the assembly, but here at the local level, it um, it's going to generate a whole new group of reports um, that we're going to have 30 days to report on, and then uh, the, then the the commissioner of education is going to have another 120 days to take all that data. And put it together. And quite honestly, the state's data reporting system is 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 old. It's antiquated. Um, it 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 stinks in many cases, to be quite frank. Um, and I just I just see this as uh, as being a real burden for local districts to gather all this data, and then to pass it along to the state to to, to put together some kind of plan. Uh, from the commissioner of education, I, I just think that the local, the, st- the state level is just really not ready for this. Um, it has, a, it, it's great in theory, but in practicality, it's it's just going to take uh, take a lot away from from schools running the districts on, a, as efficiently as they can, um, and, and throwing the manpower at this to collect data points that um, that we may we may see the answer to. Um, after the start of the next school year, which isn't going to help us too much.
2: Well, the Ruiz so, bill is uh, is is on the fast track. It's passed the Senate. It's uh, I think been reported out of committee on the Assembly. So I suspect it'll be up for a vote soon and sent over to the governor for uh, for endorsement. Um, it's, oof, it's there's that's barreling down the track at all the school districts.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I agree, uh, friend. That when Senator Ruiz gets involved in uh, in legislation and and the bipartisan nature of this one, it uh, it is exactly doing that. It's really uh, accelerated its way through the uh, through the Senate and uh, and through the um, Assembly Education Committee. And it would not uh, it would really not surprise me if in the next couple of weeks, maybe even by the end of February, that this thing. Uh, has come out and, um, and, and could be headed to the governor here um, before uh, the end of February, maybe into early March. With all of the, the various
0: and diffuse uh, assessment um, um, instruments that, that districts use, there, there is no consistency uh, from one district to another about how they're going to measure this. Um, how, how is that going
1: to get reconciled? Well, when you look at uh, when you look at the law and um, and look at some of the um, the talking points that have come along with it or the bill, excuse me, um, you know, there's a lot of data points that are going to be collected, and and the way the way that I come at it uh, is, is going to be as a K through eight district is going to be tremendously different than a K through twelve district, and one of the shortcomings that I have heard discussed again on the legislative committee is quite simply that. If we're going to lump all these districts together to come up with a plan from the commissioner, that's not going to help. Um, It needs to be, the information needs to be disaggregated out and and taken a look at in smaller chunks. And and like school districts have to be grouped with like school districts um, across the state so that we can come up with a plan that's going to be beneficial and will work at each level, regardless of the size of the school district
2: so the the bill uh, talks about uh, one of the data points is information on standardized assessments that was that were administered to students in this past fall um, but it doesn't say what information you're supposed to submit uh, wh- what are they looking for do we is there even a, an idea of what they're looking for
1: uh, right now right now nobody seems to know it's uh you know we many most school districts that i'm aware of especially in, Locally, if I extend this conversation out to my friends in Sussex or or Hunterdon or Morris County, not just beside Warren County, there are very few people who did any type of of standardized assessments uh, for students, possibly some of the uh, ESL, ELL students might have been assessed, but uh, standardized assessments were not, um, was not something that was universally given across many of our local school districts. Um, I mean, My district, many districts like mine, we did we did benchmarks to assess student progress from one year from last year to this year. But those are not numbers that the state's telling us they want to see. So we really don't know what that what those data points are going to be when it comes to state assessments.
2: And um word hasn't come out yet. Has it about uh park?
1: We're looking at um just, just the last legislative meeting. As a matter of fact, we had we had a, an overwhelming group of administrators who said, look, this is not something that we should be doing. Um, I can tell you that last Tuesday, we got a notice from the Department of Education that we should still be planning for the spring assessments for the New Jersey Student Learning Assessments. Um, I, there's, there's again, a lot of me that says, why are we doing this and and, and to what, what kind of knowledge and what kind of data points are we gonna get out of students right now? Um, what we're also being told is that the new administration at the federal level will have something coming up here um, very soon that will definitely uh, handle and and uh, and and deal with the the assessment level here at the state level
2: well it seems like they're uh talking out of both sides there you know recently they it uh, came out of the the Department of Education that uh, sgps aren't going to be included in teacher evaluation so you know there's there's a questionable, I mean, there's a reason for that. Uh, does that make it make sense that they're going to, that they should administer, uh, administer the park tests?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, the two are tied together. And for me as a, as a school leader, to even, to even think that administering that uh, those student learning assessments is, is going to be a practical idea, I, I just do not agree that it's going to be a good thing. Well, this is a good time to take a break,
0: and uh, uh, we will be back on the other side on Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University.
2: Welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Uh, Tim Fredericks and I are here with uh, our very special guest, Bob Magnuson, the superintendent at the Oxford School District. Uh, when we last were talking, we were talking about uh, the Ruiz bill pending in the state legislature and uh, the implications of that as it barrels down the down the train track uh, toward enactment. Tim?
0: Yeah, uh, oh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how the state is sending out some mixed messages regarding the um, administration of the NJSLA this year. Uh, they, they did, though, Bob, uh, push back. The uh, the starting date of the window for those assessments
1: is that correct? Yes, I did. Uh, it, it's delayed. I think that I think the last date that we could give assessments in the spring, if I'm not mistaken, it's technically my last day of school. I think it's June 11th. Um, was was the extension of the the window for testing? So it gives absolutely. a little more time. I was wondering if if that's
0: a message, you know, if you could read the tea leaves there a little bit um or are they just buying themselves time because they're not sure what uh what they are going to do or does that mean that uh the assessments are going to be expected this year but they are going to uh you know give the districts enough time to um kind of normalize after the first 100 days of Biden or whatever it's going to take to get people back in school, um, uh, you know, in order for these um, uh, tests to be administered. Or... Yeah, I
1: think uh, the the overwhelming majority of, of superintendents and, and building principals that, that I have spoken to um, during this particular school year, even going back to the very beginning of the school year, was that the implementation of state assessments was was really going to be a a huge task uh, to ask of our districts, um, not only here locally, but across the state. It's, you know, we're we're students across across the state are 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 definitely not, you know, going through learning delays at every level. Um, You know, if we compare them to what we expected of a fourth grader two years ago to what we expect of a fourth grader this year, it's it's apples and oranges, and uh, if the if the assessments going to reflect um, the assessments in the way they looked a couple of years ago, I don't know that that's practical um, for us right now. Um, they can extend the window uh, and 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 give us more time, but um, most of the professional organizations that represent educators here in New Jersey have asked that the Department of Education. Um, petition the federal government to, to, to uh, dismiss this year's um, federally mandated assessments or state mandated assessments, I should say.
2: Might that be one of the reasons why they're holding that uh, testing date window so late, uh, hoping that the, the feds will come back and say, don't worry, the your, your funding will not be in jeopardy if you, if you fail to administer the standardized test?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, that that's definitely the uh, the precipitating factor for, for holding off on this. Um, it's good that, you know, it's good that they reminded us that, that we should be prepared were it to happen. Um, but I, I just um, I think that it would be um, a good idea if we gave it another year off from state assessments, because most most districts um, will will have all, a number of benchmarks, uh, whether it's primary grade reading scores, uh, middle school you know, assessments in language arts, math, and science, and and at the high school level, um, most districts are assessing your students. And if there are readily available um, benchmarks, assessments that we're using, and if we can tell the state and show the state that we're using them in a in a prudent and uh, and and good process for assessing our students who are in our buildings, then I those should take uh, those should take. Um, uh, you know they they should be used as opposed to the state uh, the state assessments that are really just going to have some difficulties. They difficulties in the first place. They you know they're they're inaccurate. They're they have uh, they have all kinds of issues um, when, when grading when when grading and assessing students and and to give them again in a full year of a pandemic learning situation. I, I think that that's that's just not going to be practical. But uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, brighter people than me will prevail, and uh, decisions will be made above my my pay grade and, and my level, and uh, and we won't be doing uh, state assessments this year.
0: So, Bob, Bob here's a scary uh, scenario for for you. You know that the larger testing companies, ETS and Pearson, have continued to administer tests for other, you know, other type of vocational entry tests, et cetera. So, for example, even. Even teachers to practice practice exams from ETS, but they're administered from home. They have an at-home feature, and they are electronically able to um, proctor students who are taking these tests at home. Uh, I don't know how that works. I don't know how effective that is.
1: Is that something that you think could be in the cards? Um... You know, again, I'll, I'll kind of go back to what I said a little while ago, nothing surprises me anymore. Um, you know, the idea of a third grade student who's gonna be assessed in language arts and math sitting at home, taking a test at home um, and, and being monitored by a, a third party, party—I, you know, it works at the high school level. It, it could work at the high school level, it certainly it has practical applications and, and is being done at the college level but uh i don't know but i tell you that 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 really just uh i think that just gives a different level to the assessments and a different meaning to the assessments than i think any of us had uh, had signed up for in the first place that that would be a a, a
0: wonderful way to cap off a uh, uh an otherwise wonderful year
1: <laughs> yeah i think we you know <laughs> again just to to see a third grader sitting there um, knowing that, you know, they're being monitored and uh, you, you know, look, if I, had, if I had a third grade student, I'd be in the room with them. I would be making sure that they were not nervous, not apprehensive about taking it and trying to do their best and probably just far enough off screen, maybe, you know, as, as a lot of parents would just to make sure that their students are not going to suffer or, or go through some kind of social or emotional difficulties while taking that type of test. It's hard enough when they're in person uh, to to take that test, let alone to have it monitored while they're sitting in their living rooms. I uh, just,
0: <laughs> you know, the concept of uh, of learning loss is kind of uh, interesting and something I think that we should talk about now uh, as well. Um, you know, when when we're speaking about learning loss, it's almost as if somebody's got a leg up on us. Because of this particular pandemic and our inability to be in schools the way that we normally are, um, yet everybody in the world, not just the country, but everybody in the world is going through the same thing.
1: So where's the loss? One of well, one of the. I mean, I agree with you totally, Tim. I think that um, if we compare and uh, you know that that fourth grader, grader that I was talking about before, if we compare that fourth grader today. With a fourth grader from two or three years ago, that's just not fair to to today's fourth grader um, If we expect them to be functioning and and achieving at a level that we did from our fourth grade a couple of years ago that's not fair uh, The difficulties come in when when you're talking about connectivity issues uh, when you're talking about uh, students not having the devices that they uh, that they need to to really be as productive as they could possibly be. Um, you know, we're we're in rural North, you know, Northern New Jersey, and the connectivity that we have at, at here in, in Oxford with our families, or in any one of the towns, is is different than it is just going over into Morris County, where they may have three, four, five times the bandwidth that are available to our students. Um, it's it's uh, there's a connectivity issues there, and that has a that has a dramatic impact on, on students' ability to do homework. Um, the, the, uh, the effectiveness of their homework and their schoolwork. I think that um, I think there's a real problem uh, when it, when it comes to connectivity and it does, it would um, have a a dramatic impact on learning and uh, you know, but there's going to be some students in this area who are going to have the ability to learn at a different rate than some of our urban um, students here in New Jersey. Uh, So You know, there is going to be a loss. I think the majority of them are going to be on the same, you know, the same boat and in the same discussion. Their learning is more delayed than it was compared to previous numbers. But there's still going to be a loss um, when we compare students from one part of New Jersey to another part of New Jersey.
2: Well, on that, uh, the Limpert bill, doesn't it uh, kind of target those areas where uh, where the financial resources might be such that it, it, it does uh, provide uh, an impediment or an obstacle to remote learning and and, and hence they're, they're going to try and funnel money that way. That could be not only inner city areas, but could be rural areas, too.
1: Yeah, it, it actually, thanks for that. I mean, that really is one of the <laughs> surprising elements of that particular legislation. When when I think of all the laws that have come across my desk in, in my time at Oxford, um, this one has a lower percentage of uh, free and reduced lunch numbers. Um, in other words, we're allowed to or eligible in this part of New Jersey to apply for grants to help us pick up with any of that loss through, d- due to p- possibly connectivity and, and other factors. Many times, these these bills are, are created and, and grants are set up, and the free and reduced numbers are are not doesn 't make the law or the grant eligible for many districts in this area. Um, the current lampet bill says that um, we would be eligible for grants if um, if we had twenty percent or more uh, students on the free and reduced lunch lists and um, we would also be available uh, or, or could get grant money available to us if we have never had summer programs for remedial uh, students, to, you know, to, to provide some remediation for students who really struggled during this period. So there's a couple of factors in that law that I haven't seen in many, many other laws uh, previously uh, that make a lot of our local school districts el- eligible for this uh, or for these grant opportunities. Bob, uh, do, you,
0: do you, are you hearing anything about any type of uh, additional help or relief that might be coming with the next round of ESSER? through um, um, you know of course from the federal government but passed down to the state governments but
1: eventually to the schools. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, that was one of um, one of the, the SR2 uh, monies that, are, that have been released. Um, we've gotten a second kind of a second wave of, of funding that uh, are, is available to districts uh, for funds that, uh, that we can use in many many different ways. I think the, the debate going on currently in Washington um, between the Biden administration and, and the Senate and the House of Representatives, uh, there's, there's a lot of money there. There's hundreds of millions of dollars for schools to continue doing what we did in some, with some of our previous COVID-19 relief bills. Um, so there's, there's money that's there. Um, it just needs to get to us. And I heard a couple of administrators say a few, a few months ago, provide the funds and districts will do the right thing with them. Um, If you want to have oversight, okay, have oversight, but uh, you know, try to try to decrease the number of hoops and and things that we have to jump through to get this, these funds. But there, there's, there's a lot of money that uh, that is scheduled to be released and scheduled to come our way here in New Jersey. So. Yeah, I, I, I'd heard that too.
0: And not just uh, uh, money as in the first round to just address the needs of, um, you know, Thermometers and uh, additional uh, cleaning supplies, and you know the uh, those types of expenses that weren't anticipated, uh, as, you know, earlier on in the pandemic, but something
1: that is really going to help uh, students and teachers. Yeah, we we had you uh, know those early waves of, of educational funding for COVID relief. There was a there was, a, as you said, a lot of things that. You know, that went to keep people safe and and to keep buildings um, as open as we could be, you know, in in most of our communities. The the latest round will go towards more towards um, helping teachers um, and and helping students with connectivity and and devices, uh, things that we that many districts couldn't just spend money on um, with with previous legislation. There's definitely uh, greater opportunities with some of the funding coming at
0: us. There also seems to be some advocacy and some pressure uh, to provide money to the districts to upgrade their um, ventilation systems uh, as well. Uh, have you heard that as as well?
1: Yeah. The um, matter, as a matter of fact, I, I believe it was shared by the Department of Education just last week. Uh, some documentation from some recent recent studies that say that uh, the airflow and air circulation in our classrooms is is vitally important to. Making sure that our classrooms are are as as um, as clean from the virus as we could possibly make them and uh, we um you know districts you know districts really had to had to struggle to to make sure that um that their buildings could be as um, as clean from from covid nineteen as possible I, the the money can't be enough you're talking whatever the funding will be for for new hVAC units and air circulation in, in schools. I just it would fall short um, in uh, because there's just too many districts that need too many, too many upgrades to their HVAC units uh, to, to to really hit this air circulation at 100 percent to meet the requirements of these latest studies. Fran, do
0: you do you mind if I ask uh, Bob if, if he thinks, you know, as we're coming up to the end of the, the program, if he thinks that maybe one of the silver linings to uh, you know the, the, this horrible situation that we've had to deal with uh, uh, throughout our society, and especially in our schools. Um, that there might be a silver lining in terms of the way educators are are uh, viewed and valued.
1: Um, oh. it, maybe I can ask both of you that. Fire away, Bob. Thank you both. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that students have, students and teachers have learned about education. Um, we as educators were were placed into a position where we had to we really had to embrace techniques and technologies that maybe we were a little slow to embrace some um, earlier um, and the the pandemic definitely placed us in a position to to embrace new ways to reach out to students um, on in ways that they would enjoy and that they would uh, that they would um, uh, learn more effectively with students have I, I, honestly i 've seen and heard from parents and, and seen this when I visit classrooms elect, uh, through the remote platform, students are very resilient. Um, they're learning skills, keyboarding skills. Uh, they're learning techniques that, that, that allow them to, to really process and see a different part of their learning really flourish during this time. Um, and it's amazing what what you can see a group of kindergartners do in a, in a Google Meet or a Zoom meeting uh, in classrooms it's just amazing. Um, and so there, there has been a silver lining to this. Kids have really learned to adjust and, uh, and educators have really learned to embrace new technologies.
2: And I think on the flip side, parents have uh, come to a new appreciation for um, the, provide, the provision of educational services. Uh, I know that uh, I've had parents kind of backbench and watch what's going on in the classes that I teach and I've received comments from them. Almost universally po- actually universally positive, uh, and there have been uh, expressions of of uh, deep appreciation for uh, the time we spend with their kids and and I think a realization that sometimes it perhaps isn 't as easy as uh, they had perceived it was, so uh, to the extent that there is a silver lining i i, I think Bob accurately points it out, and I think there's a little bit of that to be said about how the parents perceive it, too.
0: Well, with that, we will say thank you uh, to uh, Bob for joining us this evening. Uh, um, It was a great conversation, and uh, we look forward to continuing and and getting back to normal as uh, as much as we can. Bob, thank you for your leadership, and you've been listening to uh, WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University.